0: Welcome to today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, February 15, 2024. I'm your reader, Scott Splevik, and here's our first story. It's entitled, Council Considers Shelter Contribution, Sioux City Budget Study Session Set for Saturday. It's written by Dolly Butts. Potentially making a contribution of at least $50,000 to support the warming shelter and adding a full-time city parks enforcement officer are among the items scheduled for discussion by the Sioux City Council during an operating budget study session Saturday. Top City staff are recommending a $9.4 million or 4.8% increase in the operating budget for the coming fiscal year. The Council will begin its review of the proposed $204.2 million fiscal 2025 operating budget during a meeting that starts at 8.30 a.m. at City Hall. When debt service is included, the operating budget totals $249,424,670, an increase of 4.9% from the fiscal year that ends June 30th. The council will consider making an annual contribution ranging from $50,000 to $250,000 to the warming shelter at 910 Nebraska Street. A $50,000 contribution is included in the proposed operational budget according to city budget documents. At the Council's January 22nd meeting, Shayla Moore, the Warming Shelter's Executive Director, asked the Council to allocate funding to the, city, to, the on, to only emergency shelter in the city in the next year bu- budget year, which begins July 1. She said the shelter's closure will become a harsh reality if additional funding cannot be secured. Currently, around 140 people are staying at the Warming Shelter on a nightly basis. The shelter has been operating for about 11 years. Moore said a contribution from the city would mean the world to her, the shelter's residents, and its roughly 20 member staff. We want to continue doing our mission, but we need money to do that. With the needs being so high and our costs being so high, we need help, she said. Moore said the shelter's monthly budget is around $70,000. She said the highest cost is staff salaries followed by sheets, utilities, and building repairs. We get sheets laundered and brought in. They get fresh sheets every single night, she said. The reason we have to do that is because if we don't, then people are bringing in their own things. We've seen big bug infestations and those kind of things, which end up costing way more. The majority of the warming shelter's operations are funded through donations. Although the shelter has received a federal grant the last two years, Moore said the shelter can't count on that specific source of funding. We're able to reapply each year, and actually this year, we got substantially less than we did last year, she said. It was like $100,000 last year, and we applied again, same circumstances, and we actually ended up getting $70,000 this year. You never know if that's going to be there every single year. The council will also weigh whether to add full-time grant coordinator to the city's finance department at a cost of $101,645 and a full-time parks enforcement officer to parks and recreation department at a cost of $155,033. Both of those positions are improvement requests that came from the council. An alternative option to the parks enforcement officer is contracting off-duty Woodbury County Sheriff deputies at a cost of $50,000. Illegal activity at Cook Park was brought up during the council's November 13th meeting as Frank Brinzo was interviewing for the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board. Mayor Bob Scott remarked that a lot of cities larger than Sioux City have transit or park police. He said he recognizes the city doesn't have the money for that but said, It's still something that needs to be looked at. I think you actually need a park police or five police officers in the parks. I'm sorry, they can't be part of the police department, Scott said. When you're down nine of ten police officers for sick leave, military leave, being involved in shooting incidents, all those sort of things, really cut the manpower. In December, City Parks and Recreation Director, Matt Salvatore, told the journal the city has noticed an increase in homeless individuals camping in the city's parks, but not necessarily an uptick in crime. He said Cook and Mid-City are the parks where the city is having issues right now. We have heard concerns about both of those parks, said Salvatore, who noted that camping is not allowed in open green spaces in the parks, which close daily at 9 p.m. When an encampment in a park is discovered, Salvatore said his department posts a notice warning that all personal items not removed within 24 hours will be disposed of. Then we do a cleanup of the area and remove the belongings if they're still there. We do that with police present. Enforcement can be hard at times. The proposed property tax levy is around $17.15 per $1,000 of a property's taxable valuation up to about 8.8% from the previous year's levy of around $15.76. Due to changes in the rollback, residential city taxes per $100,000 of assessed valuation will decrease by $73 to $712. Commercial and industrial city property taxes per $100,000 of assessed valuation will increase by $125 to $1,544, according to the budget documents. In 2013, the Iowa legislature made reductions to certain property taxes. They also promised backfill, or funding, to cities, counties, and schools whose revenue was impacted by the cuts. In FY 2021, the legislature decided to phase out the backfill, The backfill will be completely gone in 2030, according to the Iowa League of Cities. Sioux City is faced with the challenge of minimizing property taxes, meeting current obligations, and increasing quality of life, all while the current costs of providing public services continue to rise. Notable challenges have included increasing salary and benefit obligations and decreasing federal and state funding, the budget documents stated. On a positive note, assessed property valuations increased 18.72% from FY 2024 to $7,346,392,752, while the taxable base used to calculate property taxes increased about 5.87% or $226.2 million. Public safety, which includes the police and fire departments, accounts for the bulk of the operating budget's general fund, or 31%. The next largest segments are 18% for utilities and 16% for public works. The Sioux City Police Department is requesting an operating budget of $27.3 million next fiscal year, an increase of $917,776, or 3.5%. Sioux City Fire Rescue is requesting $25.4 million, an increase of $1.23 million, or 5.1%. The increase of 5.12% in the general fund expenditure is due primarily to increases in employee wages and benefits, additional police officers, and moving central maintenance garage expenses out of the debt service fund into the appropriate funds the budget documents stated. Council members will vote on budget items during a March 6th wrap-up session and approve the budget during their April 15th weekly meeting. Our next article from the front page of the journal today is entitled, Some Teachers Would See Wage Hikes Under Bill. This is written by Caitlin Yamada. Teachers in the Sioux City Schools could receive wage increases ranging from $156 to $5,189 based on experience and educational levels as per a bill proposed by Governor Kim Reynolds. The largest increase would be for some teachers with between one and four years of experience. The governor's plan also would increase salaries for some Sioux City teachers with 12 years of experience. The Sioux City School Board held a special meeting Monday to discuss the impact of Reynolds' proposal. Reynolds is asking the Iowa Legislature to increase starting teacher pay to $50,000 and to set a minimum salary of $62,000 for teachers with at least 12 years of experience. The current minimum starting teacher pay in Iowa is $33,500. There are currently 155 Sioux City teachers who make under $50,000 and 8 12-year teachers who make less than $62,000. The financial impact to bring those teachers up to the proposed minimum would be $464,500, according to board documents. State funds would cover that cost. The current base salary for Sioux City teachers is $38,711, according to board documents. Teacher salaries vary based on the degrees they hold, teacher salary supplements, and longevity within the district. The more years of experience a teacher has, the more salary they get same with the level of education estimates were given as to how reynolds's proposal would impact current sioux city teachers in a hypothetical salary schedule the estimates were based on current salaries and teacher numbers not future salaries after annual increases for years of service and contract negotiations the sioux city district shared the wage increase would impact first year second year third year and fourth year teachers with a bachelor's degree first-year, second-year, and third-year teachers with a bachelor's degree plus 15 graduate-level credits in education, first-year teachers with a master's degree, and 12th-year teachers with a bachelor's degree. The current starting salary for first-year Sioux City teachers with a bachelor's degree is $44,811. With Reynolds' bill, the starting salary would increase by $5,189 to $50,000. A second-year Sioux City teacher with a bachelor's degree currently receives $46,359. This salary would increase by $3,641 to $50,000. A Sioux City teacher with a bachelor's degree and 12 years of experience currently receives $61,844. The bill would increase the salary by $156. School board members expressed concerns that the wage increases would create compression in the salaries. Currently, teacher wages increase with every year of experience. With the new wages, a teacher would hypothetically stay at $50,000 until their fifth year, according to board documents. Fifth year teachers with a bachelor's degree currently receive $51,005. There's not much of an incentive from the first year to the five years," Board Vice President Trela Lee said. School Board member Dan Greenwell said the proposed bill would direct the state to fund the extra cost to bring the teachers to the new minimum. To fund the salary increases, the bill would require the Iowa Department of Management to create up to 10 tiers of school district groups based on enrollment. The department would then be tasked with calculating additional teacher salary supplements based on the average cost of to school districts within the tier to meet the new salary requirements. If the calculated amount is insufficient to meet the new requirements for a district, the state would allocate more for teacher salary supplements, or TSS. The increase would also include costs associated with the employer's share of the Iowa Public Employees Retirement System and their share of the tax imposed by the Federal Insurance Contributions Act. Currently, the Sioux City District divides TSS dollars equally among all teachers. Greenwell said the governor's proposal creates another component of TSS. Staffing makes up more than 80% of the district's $240 million budget. Current teacher salaries for the district total $73.93 million. The district is estimating a 1.16 million dollars in overhaul salary overall salary increases next year due only to teachers progressing on the salary schedule for example the current starting salary for first year sioux city teachers with a bachelor's degree is forty four thousand eight hundred and eleven dollars next year that teacher will increase to forty six thousand three hundred and fifty nine dollars not including any union negotiated increase nor the governor's proposed bill. The Sioux City Education Association, the local teachers union, is expected to present its initial contract negotiation proposal on March 4th. Last year, teachers received a $745 increase or 4% in the base salary from $37,966 to $38,711. Now we come to a story entitled, Union County Sheriff Dies, Interim Named. Dan Limogus was Union County Sheriff since 1990. This is written by Mason Doctor, and the deadline is Elk Point, South Dakota. Long-time Union County Sheriff Dan Lemogus died unexpectedly Tuesday at his residence. In a special meeting Wednesday, the Union County Commission named Jim Prouty the interim sheriff. Prouty will serve until an election is held in November. Lemogus's term would have ran through 2026. It's somewhat based on the chain of command. I mean, that's the way Dan had it set up. That's why he was his chief deputy, Union County Commission Chair Milton Eusted said of the decision to appoint Prouty. Prouty, who has been with the Union County Sheriff's Department since 2011, was previously chief deputy, the second in command position. Before he joined the department, he was employed by the University of South Dakota Police Department. Prouty told the journal he's planning to run for a term of his own in November. I've got to talk with family, but yes, that is the intention, Prouty said. Lemogus, age uh, 64, spent more than half of his life as Union County Sheriff. He was named interim sheriff of Union County in February of 1990. Following the retirement of Sheriff Eugene Bud Rasmussen, only a few months after Limoges joined the force in September of 1989. He ran as a Republican for a term of his own in November of 1990 and won. He was reelected in every election since then. Sheriff Limoges will be greatly missed, the sheriff's office said in a Facebook post announcing his death. He's done a good job, Eusted said. South Dakota Attorney General Marty Jackley on Tuesday released a statement mourning the loss of Lemogus, who was also a past president of the South Dakota Sheriff's Association. The South Dakota Attorney General's office is saddened to hear of the passing of Union County Sheriff Dan Lemogus. Sheriff Lemogus was a law enforcement officer for almost 40 years and Union County Sheriff for more than 30. He was a strong public servant who was dedicated to his county and his profession. Our thoughts and prayers are with this family and agency during this time," Jack Lee said in the statement. Lamogus was born in Yankton on April the 7th, 1959 and grew up in Alcester. He, he joined the Alcester Police Department as a part-timer in 1985 when he was in his mid-20s. He was named Alcester Police Chief not long after when the former police chief killed his wife and himself. His handling of a murder case and armed standoff in late 1986 won him praise in Alcester, leading to a recommendation from the Alcester City Council that Lemogus be named sheriff when Rasmussen retired. Union County, 467 square miles, policed by fewer than a dozen sheriff's deputies, saw a number of high-profile cases during Lamogues' tenure, Perhaps none garnered wider attention than the discovery in 2013 of the remains of Pamela Jackson and Cheryl Miller, vermilion teens who disappeared in, on May 29, 1971. The 1960 Studebaker they'd been riding in was found in 2013, overturned in Brule Creek. In 2004, the Union County Sheriff's Office investigated an infant, infanticide case referred to colloquially as Baby Moses, in which a baby was thrown away with household garbage in All-Sister and taken to a landfill. Months later, Lamogus acknowledged public frustration with a lack of progress in the case. I can assure you calls are still being made. We're following up, Lamogus said. The baby's mother was later arrested and sentenced to 10 years in prison for second-degree manslaughter. Lamogus's department also worked cases that were weird but not tragic. In September 1992, a partial skeleton was found in rural Union County wrapped in a snowmobile suit. The bones were sent to Kansas City to be analyzed. The skeleton turned out to be that of an unknown animal speculated at the time to be a large dog or a deer. In 2013, Lamogus fought to prevent Union County's 911 services from being transferred to Lincoln County, which was pitched as a way to save taxpayer money. For a few more dollars, we would be in control of it, Lamogus said at the time. It's a win-win to keep it local. Now here's some articles under the briefs heading. First, Larchwood man pleads guilty of receiving child pornography. Dateline Sioux Falls. A Larchwood man has pleaded guilty Of receiving nude photos of an underage girl. Shane Nelson, age 37, entered his plea Tuesday in U.S. District Court in Sioux Falls to one count of receipt of child pornography. Initially charged with production of child pornography, the new charge was contained in a superseding indictment. A sentencing date has not yet been set. According to terms of the plea agreement, attorneys will recommend he receive a five-year prison sentence. According to court documents, Nelson admitted that from March 13th through 18th of the year 2020, he used his cell phone to access the internet and receive photos of naked 16-year-old girl. Next, suspect in Sioux City convenience store robbery arrested. A man suspected of the November robbery of a Morningside convenience store was arrested Tuesday. Sioux City police said Christopher Bauer, age 35, of Sioux City, was arrested on a charge of second-degree robbery. He's suspected of ro- robbing Sarge's Mini Mart, 3407 Glen Avenue, at approximately 6:45 a.m. November the 29th. When a man entered the store and handed the clerk a note demanding cash from the register, the suspect grabbed two cartons of cigarettes when other customers walked in, but didn't get any money from the register before leaving the store and the area on foot. The Community Action Agency of Siouxland is accepting applications for heating bill assistance. Applications are being accepted until April 30th for low-income Iowans to receive help paying a portion of their home heating costs. The Community Action Agency of Siouxland is taking online over-the-phone and in-person applications from low-income homeowners and renters to receive assistance from the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, or LIHEAP. Assistance is based on several factors including total household income and number of household members, dwelling type, and heating fuel type. For more information or to apply online, visit www.caasuland.org. In person or phone appointments may be scheduled by calling area code 712 two seven four one six one zero. Applicants will need to provide identification, a copy of their most recent heating bill, and proof of household members' gross income either for the past 30 days or the past calendar year. Next, state legislature town hall slated for february twenty fourth. The League of Women Voters of Sioux City and Sioux Land Growth Organization will be co-sponsoring a public state legislators town hall from 10 to 11.30 a.m. February the 24th at the Sioux City Public Museum, 607 4th Street. The local Iowa state legislators in attendance will be asked to share legislative updates and concerns that will be followed by questions posed from audience members and the forum's co-sponsors. An LWVSC member will serve as the town hall moderator. The event will be live-streamed on the League of Women Voters of Sioux City Facebook page. Questions may also be submitted in advance via their Facebook page. For more information, contact Carolyn Goodwin at area code 712-274-1948 or goodwin.mk at gmail.com. The League of Women Voters of Sioux City is a nonpartisan political organization that encourages informed and active participation in government works to increase understanding of major public policy issues and influences public policy through education and advocacy siouxland growth organization is a volunteer-driven community coalition which aims to involve young professionals in siouxland by helping them become active members of the siouxland community and traditional irish band teada to play orange city's prairie winds events center dateline orange city iowa orange city arts is presenting the traditional irish band teada at the prairie winds Events center 908 8th street southeast teada is a talented group of musicians renowned for their captivating performances and authentic sound hailing for ireland they've been enchanting audiences around the globe with a unique blend of traditional tunes and contemporary arrangements. Best known for the mastery of instruments like the fiddle, flute, accordion, and bodhran, Tejeda play everything from foot-stomping jigs to soulful ballads. The band is a frequent headliner at major music festivals throughout the United States, Canada, Mexico, Europe, Africa, Australia, and the Mid-East. Mid- For ticket information on this concert or news on future events, go to orangecityarts.org or call area code 712-707-4510. Next up, Lamar's man charged with murder. It's written by Nick Heitrich. The Lamar's man arrested after an alleged assault now faces a murder charge because the victim has died. Plymouth County Attorney Darren Raymond on Monday filed formal charges of second-degree murder and attempted murder against 24-year-old Reese Harms. An arraignment was scheduled for February the 26th in Plymouth County District Court. Harms was arrested January 19th on charges of attempted murder and willful injury after police responded to an assault in which Michael Gomez was found not breathing. Gomez, age 44, of Merrill, Iowa, later was revived but died four days later in a Sioux Falls hospital. The alleged incident occurred at the Fieldcrest Apartments, 1122nd Street Southeast, where, according to court documents, Harms had put Gomez in a chokehold, telling a woman present at the time he was going to choke him till he stopped breathing to teach him a lesson. Harms told police Gomez had come into his bedroom and punched him several times, and Harms responded by putting him in a chokehold with his legs wrapped around Gomez's torso and had clenched down very hard on him as he fought back. Harms, who told police he'd been drinking, said he believed Gomez had overdosed on methamphetamine. The female witness told police Harms became angry and attacked Gomez after Gomez made a comment to him. She said Harms choked Gomez for about three minutes before she was able to get Harms off of him. Court documents said she confirmed Harms' statement to police that he had threatened to stab Gomez earlier in the day. The charges Harms faces are both Class B felonies. Second-degree murder carries a 50-year prison sentence. Attempted murder is punishable by 25 years in prison. Now we turn to the opinion page, and we've got another view from the Wall Street Journal entitled, CBO Shows U.S paddling to fiscal falls. forecast indicates entitlements and debt payments are squeezing national defense. The Congressional Budget Office rudely interrupted the presidential campaign by releasing its 10-year budget outlook. Neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump wants to talk about the woolly mammoth in the room, but somebody has to point out that growing entitlements and debt payments are squeezing national defense. CBO forecasts that under current law, the national debt will grow to $48.3 trillion in 2034 from $26.2 trillion this last fiscal year, a whopping 84% increase. Debt as a share of GDP will rise to 116% in 2034 from 97.3%. As helpful historical context, The U.S. added $22.3 trillion in debt in its entire history through 2021, about as much as it's projected to pile on over the next 10 years. Don't blame Americans for not paying enough taxes. Revenues are expected to average 17.8% of GDP through 2034, which is more than the 17.3% average over the last 50 years. The problem is that spending over the next decade will average 23.5% of GDP, significantly more than the 50-year average of 21%. Even these debt projections may be optimistic. They assume no recession and that the 2017 Individual Tax Cuts and Inflation Reduction Acts sweetened Obamacare subsidies expire in 2025. Oh, and that Congress doesn't lather on more spending and more student debt isn't canceled by executive decree. What are the odds? It's true the budget gnomes often underestimate economic growth. CBO may be pessimistic in assuming that GDP will rise on average by only 2% annually through 2034. Increased productivity from artificial intelligence and other technologies could put the country on a higher growth plane. But in any case, the growth in spending, and especially entitlements, is unsustainable. Discretionary spending is expected to climb by $372 billion over the next 10 years, but mandatory programs will balloon by some $2.5 trillion and hit $6.3 trillion in 2034, almost entirely owing to growth in Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid. Growing deficits will compound and increase interest payments. The U.S. this fiscal year will spend an estimated $870 billion on servicing the debt, which is more than it will spend on defense. By 2034, interest payments will grow to $1.6 trillion, or 3.9% of GDP. Meanwhile, defense spending is at a post-war low of 3% of GDP and heading lower. It's de A in Washington these days to suggest that entitlements need to be reformed. Democrats pretend that soaking the rich will make the Social Security and Medicare trust funds solvent. It won't. Or they plan to ra- ration care by reducing payments for medicines and providers. Republicans say economic growth can do the job. This is essential, but it's no longer enough with entitlements growing so fast. It's almost as if everyone in Washington is blithely paddling toward Niagara Falls. Enjoy the scenery on the way down. You are listening to the Sioux City Journal on IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Scott Blavik. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at area code 515-243-6833. Now we turn to today's obituaries. And first, we'll remember Harry A. Tomek, age 90, of Dakota City, who passed away on Monday, February the 12th, at a local care facility. Visitation with the family present will be from 5 to 6.30 p.m. on Sunday, February the 18th at Moore and Becker Hunt Funeral Home. A rosary and vigil service will begin at 6.30 p.m. Burial will be at 10 a.m. on Monday, February 19th at St. Michael's Cemetery in South Sioux City, Nebraska. Online condolences may be directed to www.meyerbrotherschapels.com. Next, we remember Pamela Pam Joyce Dunbar, age 77, who passed away Sunday, February the 11th, 2024. Memorial service will be 1 p.m. February 16, 2024, Gosler Funeral Home Chapel, Onawa, Iowa. Burial at Harrison Cemetery, Whiting, Iowa. Gosler Funeral Home and Monuments of Onawa is handling arrangements. Next, we remember Shirley Thornsbury a long-time resident of Sioux City who passed away February the 8th, 2024, in Gainesville, Florida. She was preceded in death by her husband, Richard Dick Thornsberry, and her son, Michael Thornsberry. Interment will be at the National Cemetery in Bushnell, Florida. Now we remember John Gary Crone, who passed away peacefully at St. Luke's Regional Medical Center in Sioux City on February the 8th at the age of 81. Visitation will be held from 5 to 7 p.m. Thursday, March the 7th at Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel at 3220 Stone Park Boulevard in Sioux City. Interment will be at a later date at Glendale Memorial Gardens in Pekin in a graveside service with family present. Memorial donations may be directed to the Siouxland Humane Society. The family is indebted to Mike Rodriguez and Denny Fay, for their years of help and devoted friendship to gary now we remember lawaine Heine heinrichson aged 95 who peacefully passed away at his home on saturday february the 10th remarkably he departed this life on the same date albeit 13 years later as his beloved wife of 56 years patricia A Celebration of Life in honor of LaWayne will be held at 3 p.m. on Friday, February the 16th at the American Legion Post 307, located at 109 East 19th Street, South Sioux City, Nebraska. Burial will take place at Crawford Heights Memorial Cemetery in Denison, Iowa, at a later date. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to American Legion, South Sioux City, Post 307, P.O. Box 661. South Sioux City, Nebraska, 68776. Attention, Brian Marshall. Now we remember Eric M. Tapia, age 23, who died February 11th in Sioux City. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 15th at 3rd Christy Smith Morningside Chapel. Funeral Mass will be Friday, February 16th at St. Michael Catholic Church in South Sioux City, Nebraska. Next, we remember Benita Ray Leff, age 87, who died February the 11th, 2024. Visitation from 4 to 8 p.m. Sunday, February the 18th, 2024. Prayer service at 7 p.m. and funeral service at 10 a.m. Monday, February the 19th, 2024. All at Christy Smith Funeral Homes, Morningside Chapel, Reverend Josh Loomis officiating. Now we remember Richard Charles Hall, age 73, of Hinton, Iowa, who passed away on February the 11th. Funeral services will be at noon, Saturday, February 17th at Meyer Brothers Morningside Chapel. Visitation with family present will begin at 11 a.m. Saturday at the funeral home. Condolences for the family may be left online at www.meyerbroschapels.com. Next, we remember Marie K. Woods of Grand Valley, Texas, who was born in Sioux City on February the 11th, 1929, and passed away February the 10th, 2024, at the Horn Memorial Hospital of Ida Grove, just shy of her 95th birthday. Services will be held at a later date this summer. The Nicholas D. Jensen Funeral Home of Holstein is in charge of arrangements. And we remember Jean Mackey uh, Lyons Wassinger, age 84, who passed away peacefully on December the 30th, 2023 at her home in Scottsdale, Arizona, where she'd lived since May of 2005. Jean was a woman of strength, tenacity, encouragement, kindness, and grace. She was surrounded by her loving children. Celebration services will be held later with a private burial. Please please consider donations to Hospice of the Valley, Planned Parenthood, or Desert Botanical Garden of Phoenix. Cremation handled by Messenger Mortuary of Scottsdale. See also messenger, M-E-S-S-I-N-G-E-R, mortuary.com and legacy.com. William Post, who helped develop Pop-Tarts, dies. The dateline is Glen Arbor, Michigan. William Post, a Michigan man who played an important role in the development of Pop-Tarts, has died at age 96. Post died Saturday according to a family obituary which provided no details on his death but says he was raised in Grand Rapids as one of seven children of Dutch immigrants and had retired at age 56 as a senior vice president with Keebler Company and settled in Glen Arbor, Michigan. Kelanova, formerly known as Kellogg Company, said in a statement Wednesday that it was deeply saddened by Post's death. He played an important role in co-creating the iconic Pop-Tarts brand, and we are grateful to Bill for his legacy and lasting contributions to our company, Kellanova said without elaborating. Pop-Tarts debuted in 1964 in Cleveland, Ohio. The toaster pastry was originally sold in four flavors, strawberry, blueberry, brown sugar cinnamon, and apple currant before it was released nationwide the following year, Kellanova's website states. Post's family wrote in his obituary that he was a plant manager with a company later known as the Keebler Company when Kellogg executives asked him if he thought it would be possible for Keebler to create a new product they had in mind. His obituary states that one of the executives was Kellogg chairman William Lamothe, who soon became Bill's closest friend. It is at this juncture that Bill is often credited for having invented the Pop-Tart. To be accurate, however, Bill would say, I assembled an amazing team that developed Kellogg's concept of a shelf-stable toaster pastry into a fine product that we could bring to market in the span of just four months, according to the obituary. I'll read a couple more local articles before moving on to the sports page. First, Spencer Mann crashes vehicle after high-speed pursuit. It's written by Dolly Butts, dateline is Spencer. A Spencer man is facing multiple charges, including felony eluding after leading police on a pursuit Tuesday that exceeded speeds of 100 miles per hour and crashing the vehicle he was driving. Adrian Frakes, age 20, has been charged with eluding a Class D felony, possession of a controlled substance, marijuana, a serious misdemeanor, and the following traffic offenses, driving under suspension, reckless driving, failure to use headlamps when required, failure to maintain control, three counts of failure to obey stop signs, no insurance, and speeding. At 9.25 p.m., the Spencer Police Department attempted to stop at 2004 Pontiac for a traffic violation in the 900 block of East 12th Street, according to a statement provided by the department. A criminal complaint filed in Clay County District Court stated that the vehicle was traveling north at a high rate of speed when an officer activated his emergency lights and sirens. The vehicle failed to stop and the driver turned off the headlights to the vehicle, the complaint stated. The statement from the police department said the vehicle evaded police temporarily until it was located by a Clay County deputy overturned in a ditch in the 3100 block of 230th Avenue. Frakes was found a short distance away from the crash site and taken into custody without incident. According to the criminal complaint, Frakes admitted that he knew the officer was trying to stop him and refused to stop. The complaint also stated Frakes admitted to traveling over 100 miles per hour in a 55-mile-per-hour zone before crashing. Next, counsel caps number of EMS positions that can be filled by firefighters. Written by Dolly Butts, Dateline Sioux City. The Sioux City Council green-lighted the addition of more, of 11 more firefighter positions Monday which will help Sioux City Fire Rescue fully staff ambulances. The City has seen more firefighter candidates than EMT and paramedic candidates. Last month, the Council voted to add four firefighter positions. One of the resolutions the Council approved Monday deletes three EMS medical technician positions and eight paramedic positions. The resolution also adds 11 firefighter positions. The council took action to limit the number of firefighters that can be hired to fill vacant EMS positions through attrition or retirements. Going forward, that number will be capped at 15. The original resolution requested that the whole operation, operating division of the EMS division be replaced by firefighters over time Whereas now, we are capping that at 15 positions, Fire Chief Tom Everett said. We've already done four, so we're asking for 11 more firefighter positions. Firefighters are required to have an Iowa EMT certification before being hired, and they currently perform EMT and paramedic duties, including being first responders on emergency medical services calls. The move to hire firefighters to fill current vacant EMT and paramedic positions will increase the amount of time Medic 5 in Morningside is staffed and decrease overall overtime. Sioux City Fire Rescue started the new EMS division on January 1, 2018, to fill the void left by Siouxland Paramedics, the nonprofit agency that stopped providing emergency services due to financial difficulties. Now it's time to turn over to the sports page and we'll start with an article entitled Pender Breaks State Record for Three-Pointers. Maddie Dolliver passes individual three-point mark, school scoring mark. This is written by Dave Driesen. The Pender girls basketball team set a new state record for most three-pointers in a game Tuesday night, dropping 23 trays on Lions Decatur Northeast. As the top ranked Pendragons cruised to victory in their postseason opener 97 25. Pender broke the previous record of 21 three pointers set by Fremont in 2021. The Pendragons also surpassed the boys' all time, all class state record of 22 trays in one game. Sophomore guard Maddie Dolliver also broke the all time record, regardless of class, for threes in a game hitting 13 of 23 from downtown. Dolliver, the daughter of head coach Jason Dolliver, also scored 45 points, breaking the school record for most points in a game. The previous record, 35, was jointly held by Chris Smith from 1982 and Paige Ballinger, 2014, according to Jason Dolliver. Pender, which won the Class C2 state title last year, is seeking back to back titles after dropping down to Class D2 this season. The Penn Dragons will host Bancroft Rosalie in the D1 6 Sub District Final on Thursday. Bancroft Rosalie beat Tri County Northeast 54 35 in the other semifinal contest at Pender Tuesday night. Tri County Northeast finishes with a record of 6 wins and 15 losses. Our next article is entitled, Lovelace Wins Paralympic Race. Sioux City Spartans also post top 10 relay finishes at state meet. Sioux City Spartans freshman Jaden Lovelace won a championship in the 100-yard freestyle Paralympic race at the state swimming meet last weekend in Iowa City. Lovelace finished first with a time of 129.79 in the finals. The Spartans comprised of swimmers from all Sioux City schools placed 13th in the team race with 61 points. West Des Moines Valley captured the championship. The Spartans recorded two top 10 relay finishes at the state meet at the University of Iowa Aquatic Center. The Spartans 200 meter medley relay placed eighth with a time of 136.59 in the finals. Senior Kellen Dean, Senior Hudson Bonk freshman Max Asoff and junior Micah Vedaveit each swam a leg in the relay. Vonk, junior Hunter Heinrich, junior Cooper Nelson, and off were also members of the 200 freestyle relay team that finished 10th with a time of 127.13 in the finals. The Spartans' 400 free relay team also qualified for the state meet. Nelson, junior Britton Petit, freshman Carson Hoke, and Dean swam on the relay. Several Spartans also placed in individual events. Petit finished 14th in the 200-yard freestyle with a time of 145.41 in the finals. Dean and Cooper Nelson also qualified for the event. In the preliminaries, Dean had a time of 148.01, finishing 25th. And Nelson was a spot behind, with a time of 148.37. Petit and Vedevogt, each, or er, also, complete competed in the meet's longest race, the 500 freestyle. Petit placed 12th with a time of 4:46.73 in the finals. Vedevogt was 30th with a time of 5:01.72. Nelson, the Spartans' lone participant in the 100 freestyle, placed 29th with a time of 49.21 in the preliminaries. In the 200 individual medley, Vonk reached the finals, finishing 13th with a time of 157.27. Hoek placed 18th with a time of 200.60. Henrik and Van de Boekte both competed in the 50 freestyle, with Henrik finishing 24th at 22.16 and 30 32nd at 22.91. Hoke was the Spartans' top finisher in the 100 backstroke, placing 12th with a time of 53.30 in the finals. Dean finished 20th with a time of 54.50, and junior Carson Valentine was 32nd with a time of 57.41. In the 100 Butterfly, Aesop finished 15th with a time of 52.87 in the finals. Junior Michael Licht was 27th with a time of 54.25. Vonk and Aesop also competed in the 100 Breaststroke with Vonk placing 12th with a time of 58.82 and Aesop 16th with a time of 1 minute 0.23 in the finals. In girls' high school basketball area, girls' teams advance. Several area basketball teams advanced Monday and Tuesday in Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union's regional play. On Monday in Class 3A, Cherokee 79, Green County 29, Class 3A number 14 Cherokee sailed to a victory in the Class 3A quarterfinals. The Braves took a commanding 35-2 lead by the end of the first quarter. Cherokee was led by Harper Jensen's 20 points. She went 7 of 8 from the field and 5 of f- 5 from the free throw line. Laney Wolfwinkle and Addie Wolfswinkle each went for 9 points for the Braves. McKenna Ebersol led Green County with 12 points. Cherokee hosted Atlantic in the semifinals on Wednesday. Also in Class 3A, Spirit Lake 62, Okaboji 50. Zoe Ackerman led Spirit Lake in scoring with 18 points in the win. The Indians also had Charlotte Pritchard and Claire Turner go for 12 points each. Okaboji ends its season with a record of 7 wins and 15 losses. Spirit Lake will host West Lyon in the semifinals. And Esterville Lincoln Central defeated Sheldon 78-18. Class 3A top-ranked Esterville Lincoln Central took a 61-11 lead into halftime and didn't look back. Riley Yeager led the Midgets with 27 points and Haley Stokes had 22 points. Sheldon finished the season with a record of zero wins and 20 losses. Harlan Community 67, O A B C I G 19, Harlan held OABCIG scoreless through the first eight minutes of the play, taking a 22 0 lead into the second quarter and a 33 5 advantage into the halftime locker room. Harlan saw Molly Swenson go for a game high 20 points. Aubrey Schweiso went for 16 and Eric Rust had 10. Chloe Murphy led OABCIG with 8 points. Unity Christian 56. MOC Floyd Valley, 44. J. Lee Woodstra scored a game-high 18 points, and Courtney Hoffmeyer went for 15 in the win for Unity Christian. In the loss for MOC Floyd Valley, Maya Imaker had 14, and Addie Chelpma had 13. Unity Christian will be at Akron Westfield in the semifinals. West Lions, 68. Western Christian, 58. West Lyon was led by Jersey Hoff and Annie Metzger, who each scored fifteen points. Olivia Fault went for thirteen points for West Lyon. Western Christian saw McKenna Fetters score a game high 17, but couldn't keep pace with West Lyon, especially in the third quarter as the Wildcats took the frame by a 20 to 9 margin. West Lyon is at Spirit Lake in the semifinals. On Tuesday in Class 2A, Hinton defeated Lawton Bronson, 74-23. to Four players scored in double figures to lead the Blackhawks into the regional semifinals where Hinton will be at home against MVAOCOU on February the 16th. Hinton was led by Carlin Kovarnas, 18 points. Avery Bergat had 16 points for the Blackhawks. Ashlyn Corvana had 14 and Bailey Bovi. 11 to go with game-high 13 rebounds. Lawton Bronson was led by Addie McKenna's nine points. Kingsley Pearson/slash River Valley 70, Aida Aurelia 46. Sydney Deschate led KPRV with 22 points, seven assists, eight steals, and four rebounds in the regional quarterfinal win. The shot made seven to nine shots from the field for KPRV. Alta Aurelia received an 18-point effort from Nora Peterson, but that was far from enough to keep pace with the Panthers, who had three different players score nine points apiece. KPRV will be at Central Lion on February 16th for the semifinals. MVAOCOU 67 Ridgeview 43. A low going first quarter that yielded a Ridgeview lead quickly turned around for MVAOCOU. The Rams won the second quarter by a 23-14 margin, then took the third 21-11 and the fourth 18-9. Ridgeview has now dropped four straight to the Rams, who will head to Hinton on February 16th for the regional semifinal. Sioux Central 62, Kemper Catholic 27. Class 2A fourth ranked Sioux Central took a commanding 22-9 lead into the second quarter and didn't look back on its home court. Brandy Krager scored 21 points and had nine rebounds to lead Sioux Central. Avery Williamson or excuse me, Avery Wilson added 18 and Morgan Christian went for 10. Presley Peterson also grabbed nine rebounds. As a team, the Rebels went for 17 steals against the Knights. Sioux Central hosts Mason Northwest Webster in semifinals on February the 16th. And West Monona, 56, Tri-Center, 41. The Spartans went into the fourth quarter clinging to a 36-31 lead, but stormed away with the outcome as the Spartans doubled up the Trojans over the final eight minutes, 20 to 10. West Monona was led by Kaylee Gosler's 17 points and 13 rebounds. Casey Miller, who passed 1,000 career points for the Spartans to close the regular season, went for 11 with 6 rebounds, and Savannah Lucas chipped in 10 points. Central Lion 55, Rock Valley 40. Class 2A 8th-ranked Central Lion had three players score in double figures en route to the quarterfinal win. Desta Hugendorn led the Lions with 16 points and 13 rebounds. Mariah Gerleman had and Aubrey Metzger each went for 12 points. Rock Valley ends the season with a an 11-9 and record. Manson-Northwest Webster, 46, harley melvin Sandburg 44. Manson-Northwest Webster came out with the narrow two-point victory to advance to the 2A semifinals where it will play at Sioux Central on February 16th. Manson Northwest Webster snapped a three-game win streak by HMS as the Hawks ended the season with a record of 13 wins and nine losses. And that'll bring us to the end of today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for two, uh, Thursday, February 15, 2024. I'm your reader, Scott Spolivik. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.